Hi, it's Leonard here, and I have a quick but special note before we start today's interview. Do you know that most purchases are influenced by feelings and not facts? Research found that emotions drive over 95% of consumer decisions. So if you want to increase the sales of your CPG product, you must understand how consumers choose and buy better-for-you food or beverage brands. And this is exactly what we uncover in our new free ebook titled Cracking the Code, How Consumers Choose Healthy Food and Beverage CPG Products. This has six core insights that will help you better understand your customers so you can improve your sales velocity, whether in your retail or e-commerce platforms. Get a copy now by visiting thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. That's thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. Brandstar Goes Healthy features founders and CEOs of healthy food and beverage, CPG companies who share their biggest successes, hardest failures, strategic learnings, and tactical tips so you can learn from them and help you avoid mistakes and instead succeed in building your own healthy food and beverage brands. If you lead a vegan, plant-based, organic, all-natural, functional, and other healthy food and beverage CPG company, then this show is for you. Hosted by Leonard Grape, founder and CEO of The Vineyard, the brand development company for the healthy food and beverage CPG industry. What is up, everybody? It's Leonard here, and welcome to the Brand Start Goes Healthy podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sam Moore, founder and CEO of Haslow, the first craft beverage designed to perfectly complement every part of your life. It's a product that's packed with electrolytes, antioxidants, adaptogens, and gorgeous flavors. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be here, Leonard. Before we get going, can you please tell us a brief background about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so I, as you you mentioned, I'm, I'm the founder of Oslo. Um, I've been do, we've been in business for two years. And before that, I was in the software industry and consulting. So did absolutely nothing with food and beverage before I decided to go all in on the entrepreneurial journey. But uh, been been out in Denver, Colorado, running the business for a couple of years now, and it's been going great. Yeah, I like to ask this first official question because that's interesting. So I'm curious, how did your brand start? What got you started in becoming a founder, a CPG founder and starting Haslow from your previous consulting career? Yeah. Um, so I would say it was like when I was selling, when I was selling software, I worked at two different startups and the first one was kind of like a mid to late stage. I was, you know, one of 500 employees when I got there. So, uh, didn't, it was a taste of, of the startup life, but it was much more, uh, of a well, well, well oiled machine by the time I got there. And then it was the second company where I joined as the 19th employee. We were all sitting in the same room, uh, engineers next to ops team, uh, next to the sales team. And I was sat right across from the, the CEO of the company. Brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, still a great mentor of mine today. But I was able to, it demystified what running a business was like. Um, I was able to see him kind of conducting business and, and really leading this, this company and you know, outside of him being brilliantly smart, it was just like he was making a lot of decisions and and really, you know, encouraging, pushing people, leading, leading from the front. Uh, but it was just one of those moments where I was like, hmm, I think I think I can do that. Uh, and then that started the path down, like me trying to figure out what 
type of business I wanted to do, what, you know, what type of entrepreneur I wanted to be. And I had no idea that it was going to end up being a, a beverage brand, but it was, uh, you know, a couple, I can get to the full story of the, the epiphany, but, um, I, I basically, I, it, started because I became obsessed with the world of tequila <laughs> and oh, okay. um, was like, became a really big connoisseur and just, yeah, fan of the the world of tequila, but couldn't really do margarita mixes. And I did, was like, kind of struck by this thing of why is there nothing that is, you know, really delicious, pairs perfectly with tequila, but is not packed with so much sugar and artificial ingredients or anything. So that, that was kind of the precipice of the idea, but it all started from, you know, watching like a really, you know, a, one of my mentors leading a business and showing me how to do it. Have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur or was that exposure in the startup scene that really got you interested to be one as well? If you had asked me when I was younger, I never would have said entrepreneur, but all of my actions in my life, I think are like, spell it out pretty well. Um, you know, I have the typical like, you know, childhood doing the door-to-door -door thing and raising money and, <laughs> and being like a natural salesperson. Um, but I'd say like the, the journey, you know, my first job out of school was with a big four accounting firm and just about as we'll say bureaucratic, like the least entrepreneurial space you could be in, in some respects, because just a very regimented um, system of, of promotion and everything. And then left that, went to a midsize startup and got a little taste of it. And then it was like, okay, now onto the, the 19th employee. It's like, okay, well, maybe I just need to start my own thing. And I think it was all the decisions proved my, my desire to be an entrepreneur, even though mm -hmm. I wasn't really sure that that's what I was doing at the time. Gotcha. Talk to me a bit more about that transition. You were you were a startup employee. You were basically a, a corporate worker as well. How did that pan out for you? When you had the idea, did you just go cold turkey, quit your job, and then start your brand? Or how was it like for you? It was a, it was a couple year evolution. Um huh. there was, I mean, the moment that I came up with the idea was literally on the streets of Manhattan with a like a childhood friend of mine. And like it was, you know, one of those eureka moments it was pretty it was pretty uh surreal but you know as soon as i you get back to the office on monday that like <laughs> the energy dissipates a little bit so it wasn't a, a cold turkey just drop and, and go pursue it um i mean i did a ton of research and just really tried to familiarize myself with what i was going into being you know somebody from the software i studied finance in college again had no experience other than the act of drinking things of the food and beverage world. So mm -hmm. I, I tried to really immerse myself in as much of that world as possible and, and really just kind of, I mean, validate the fact that this idea didn't already exist or I wasn't trying to do something that somebody else had already kind of perfected. Um, so that took, you know, a while and I recruited uh, a couple of friends of mine to like basically be my brain trust. And, and we would just have weekly brainstorming sessions going over ideas and what it would look like and what would the name of the company be and all those different elements of the, the early stages. And then it was about, I would say like eight months after initial idea, I finally got to the point where I, I knew that uh, like this was something I wanted to pursue. So mm -hmm. I was living in San Francisco at the time and I made the decision to um, this is, you know, pre COVID time. So remote work wasn't the most common, but I went to my CEO who was a mentor of mine and said, you know, I had this business idea that I really want to pursue. And I think one of the important things is for me to save some money right now. So I'm going to go move back to Chicago and, and with my mm -hmm. folks and kind of see how this goes. Um, and 
he was incredible, very like supportive of, of that. And, and being an entrepreneur himself, he kind of helped me on that path. But that was, I didn't, I uh, got back to Chicago at the beginning of 2019 and it wasn't until May, 2021 that the business launched. So there's, you know, a pretty, a lot more work that needed to be done. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of going from software and coding and, mm-hmm. and the tinkering that's, you know, live on site versus a physical product that has to be, you know, created through a formula, taste tested, start over. Yeah. And yeah it was a long, it was a long process, but um, it was, it was from, the day from the day I came up with it, it was three years exactly. So I, I did oh, wow. it May 19th, 2018 is the uh, day that I came up with the idea on the streets of New York. And then May 19th, 2021 is the day that we launched. Uh, and I think that shows the importance of, of research and visibility. Uh, but at the same time, not letting you be stopped by the fact that you're not familiar with the new territory that you want to pursue, right? Uh, and, and I think it, it's such it's such a smart move also and good for you that you had such a supportive boss. You know, I was really onboarded with the idea that you're going to actually prepare yourself to transition to, to leaving the, the company and then prepare something else. I'm also curious, almost, well, a little more than two years into the business, what do you consider as milestones that you've already achieved for, for your company? And what are you prioritizing right now as a CEO, you know, on where you want to bring your brand next? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've hit some pretty cool milestones. You know, we sold uh, our first pallet of product. Uh, and, you know, I'm big. I'm big on on days, like the dates. So it was a year exactly mm. since we launched. Was the first pallet that we shipped off, and that was a great um, partnership we had with Bespoke Post. So that was a very cool moment. Um, you know, one of the big milestones we had was our first kind of like legitimate tequila partnership, which was with Casamigos. Um, and we've kind of evolved as a as a brand in terms of our, of our positioning since then. But uh, early days, we were like very, very, you know, firm on the tequila mixer side. And so to get Casamigos to kind of partner with us and do events, and we had in a whole series with them last year, which was really exciting. Um, and then, I mean, I think one of the biggest milestones would be October of last year when we officially unveiled the new kind of branding and positioning as an elixir as opposed mm. to a, a tequila mixer, um, which was the product of, you know, 16 months in the market, getting a lot of feedback and and hearing from our customers that they were maybe a little bit different of a, of the demographic than what we thought we were going to have initially. Um, but we did that launch with a, a group called Pop-Up Grocer, which they have, you know, pop-up shops all over the uh, the country. And it was a very exciting moment to not only unveil the new branding, but be partnered with a really cool retailer that was in Denver. That's interesting. I almost wanted to ask because I saw that your positioning right now is it's not really more on the uh, as a mixer for alcoholic beverages, but more like a non-alcohol uh, option, right? And now it's, yep. it's really expanded more to become like like a lifestyle brand. That's what I, that's the sense that I'm getting. Is that is that correct? You're spot on. I'm glad that that's coming through and uh, and everything we're putting out there. Um, yeah, I mean, just to kind of expand on that, the so the initial idea, like I mentioned, was kind of this better for you margarita mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I was trying to create this product, I mean, one of the the beautiful parts of having no knowledge is I was so naive going into <laughs> how, to, how to create this that just kind of found myself head first, and I tried. Uh, working with a couple different formulators and it just didn't work out. And um, after I'd been back in Chicago, living with my folks for several months and had no, no physical, <laughs> like no uh, uh, product to show as a end result of that, 
was like incredibly discouraged. Um, but one of the things that I, the decision I made when I moved back and like, you know, to kind of ensure that this was not going to be wasted time, uh, was that I was like, I will talk to anyone and everyone that mm-hmm. is available to me bonus points if they're relevant. So like, I just started this, you know, practice of every weeknight I would schedule, um, a call and like, so 7 PM to eight 30 was like my window where every night I would have a phone call with someone mm-hmm. networking, try to kind of like, you know, one person to the next. And through that, I was introduced to, um, a family friend who was a lawyer who had a, like a food brand on the side. And I talked to her. And as soon as I told her the idea, she's like, stop me. She's like, I know nothing about drinks. You need to talk to my friend Eden. So she like, refers me over to Eden and um, I spent four months trying to get a time to, to meet with Eden. And I, at the point of us finally like meeting for coffee again, I don't nothing to show for it was basically almost going to bail on the meeting and thinking that I was about to just shut up, <laughs> shut up shop. <laughs> and get okay. home. Um, sh- I go get coffee with her. She asked me how it's going and it's this, you know, reflexive, life sucks. This is impossible. I don't know what I'm doing. And she like, just kind of let me go for 20 minutes. And finally at the end, she's like, totally empathize with you. I know the beverage entrepreneur world. Everyone goes through this. Um, also don't know if you know this, but I have a consulting company on the side that does beverage formulation and I love your Mm. idea and I want to make it for you. So like that coffee meeting was the missing piece for the beverage piece. And I I tell that backstory of Eden, uh, because she, turns out to be this James Beard award-winning mixologist who is like incredibly well-known in the, in the space. Um, and when she says she loved my idea and like really resonated with it, she, she truly did. And um, we set out to make this like herbal beverage that was not only going to be delicious to drink with tequila, but like mm. truly functional in the ingredients and leveraging stuff like ginseng root and, and magnesium and things that really weren't even, you know, top of mind for anyone back at that time, uh, but like adaptogens and, and all these different uh, ingredients. So it had this this underlying functional beverage that we we had that we were marketing as a, a mixer for tequila, mm-hmm. but really it was just like a really delicious herbal beverage that we would steep like a tea. Um, so as we went to market, very focused on tequila, you know, we had a lot of tequila branding, really like cheeky stuff, like tequila's favorite mixer. And, um, you know, that did really well at the farmer's markets. But what I saw was the most consistent customers we had were people that openly admitted to me to that they didn't drink. And mm. the, they would ex- tell me that like the reason why they loved it so much, like beyond you know, it tasted great. They thought it was a cool, you know, like a cool brand and idea and message. And they wanted to support but, uh, you know, one of them, her, her name's Emma is one of my like first and most consistent customers. She was like, this is the first brand that, uh, first like product that I can bring to a party and I'm honoring myself by being sober by drinking this, but I get to share mm. with all my friends that drink. And it was kind of like bridging this gap. And there was, that was like a light bulb moment of like, wow, like, yes, that is exactly what I, what I want this to represent. Um, so that's when we kind of pin- transitioned to this elixir and, um, being a little bit more open-ended and less prescriptive on how to use it to mm-hmm. allow for people to have that creativity with it um, and and really lead to being this kind of like, you know, merging moment. And I say all of that and we're kind of transitioning to try to be a little bit more specific because if, if you're for everyone, you're for no one. So we're a little bit too open-ended at the moment, but, you know, it's an evolution uh, n- nonstop. 
No, but I think you nailed that one because this is something that I've been preaching to the industry and trying to really encourage other founders. You let your brand evolve and because yep. that's just the way it is. And so I'm really glad that you've mentioned how you started from one type of product positioning and then really allowed you to be guided by the market conditions or market feedback. Because as you said, if you're trying to like attract everybody, you're practically talking to nobody. And this is what, what I developed in our company as, as a brand development firm. It, it just really hit on me because what you said basically is how it's encompassed as well. You know, we have what we call the four quadrants of brand development. And what you did is really just focus on that first quadrant first, which is the audience. And that should be dictating your positioning. And then, and then that's how you describe your character. And then that's how you build your identity. So kudos to you. I think that's that's pretty exciting, actually, because now you, the way you position it is really coming from the insight that you got from the customers, right? So you're, you're a functional better for you herbal beverage. I think I like that term. That it's an herbal beverage and not necessarily for people who want to mix it with tequila because that sounds a little that sounds a little paradoxical to me actually, but really finding that niche of a group of audience that you want to serve. So I think that's that's really great. And have you seen some impact on, on the business after you did that, Sam? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it, I think it was it was pretty immediate in terms of the conversations I was able to have. Um, because if you have like a, you know, if you show up and you're talking to somebody about a tequila mixer company, one of the best parts of it at the beginning was like, it was the most immediate opt in or opt out. Like if you like tequila, then we're talking to you and this is great. But if you don't like, you know, you've got you you plugged your ears and, and nothing's happening. And it was a really good way for us to get immediate feedback. But I found we were qualifying out a lot of people who I believed were like actually truly our core customer, um, but they just were turned off by tequila for whatever past experience they had with it and um, and everything like that. So shifting a bit to be a little bit more in the middle and not as um, not as polarizing from the start allowed us to have a lot more, I guess, like interesting conversations with customers. And then specifically, you know, one of the areas that we're trying to expand in pretty, pretty significantly this year is the, the on-premise space. Um, so bars and restaurants mm. and you walk in a door with a, a pre-made mixer at a bar, any reputable establishment, they laugh you out. Like, you know, like why, why on earth would we pay you for this thing that we can just make ourselves? Right. It's kind of the, the talk track that I had over and over again, where, whereas now I show up with this herbal beverage and elixir and like their ears perk up. They're like, Ooh, this is interesting. Like, how do I, how do I even use something like this? This is something, the product that I've never seen before or used before. Um, and just merely changing it from mixer to elixir allowed for a much more like interesting conversation and people to see it as a, as a, yeah, like a new interesting thing to leverage or incorporate into something as opposed to something that was minimizing their job before. That's really great. And I appreciate you sharing that insight. And that I think that's very important. And I hope other founders really take note of that. Talk to me about brand marketing as well, Sam. Like, what are your current challenges on that note? And what have you also done in terms of tactics that you've seen work well for your brand? Hey there, we're pausing a bit for a quick break. Most unsuccessful CBG brands don't have product problems. They have messaging and marketing problems. Your product quality is great, but have consumers learned enough about it? Your product tastes delicious, but are you driving product trials so they can taste it? Your product is healthy and functional, but have you built enough awareness about its benefits? If you feel you have a great product, but your sales say otherwise, 
then you need to move from unclear to powerful messaging, from weak to effective marketing. This is where we can help you through our four quadrants of CPG brand development. If you need some support, don't hesitate to reach out. Just head on to www.thevineyardbc.com. That's www.thevineyardbc.com. Now, back to the conversation. Brand marketing is probably the thing that I spend the most time thinking about. Um, and just really, I you know, to go back to what you touched on, I, I really see this in, in constructing this business and this brand as a lifestyle brand. So we are primarily a beverage, you know, that's the product that we're selling mostly, but I really see this as, you know, a higher level thing with the a business line of beverage and potentially other business lines mm. coming in later on. Um so from a brand marketing standpoint, it's it's really been, I'd say like the way that I'm approaching it is how do I, how do I speak to the people that I think are going to be the best ambassadors for this company um, and for this brand? And I kind of mentioned, you know, we alluded to it with the moving from Mixer to, to Elixir and, and opening up those conversations, but like giving, meeting those people that I've identified through these, you know, a couple of years in the market and, and just really interviewing a lot of our customers, but as like our core customer and how do I speak to them in a way that gets them to want to share it with everybody else? Mm. Um, so part of that is, you know, the, the easiest way to do that is like through things like social media. Um, and we've had success there, but that's definitely not, I don't, we, we have a lot of room to grow. Uh, but the most effective thing that we've been doing is uh, like late last year to early this year, decided to become like an event production company as well. Um, so we've been producing like concerts. Uh, we're going to be doing a music festival at the end of this year and really trying to, you know, kind of mirror or mimic the Red Bull model of they're able to create an experience that is a Red Bull experience, but they bring people there to interact with all these different, you know, they, for them, it's action sports for us. It'll be a, a music festival. Right. Um, and that I found not only does it allow for, you know, like a really beautiful experience to happen. Um, it allows us to, it, it baked into it is that is our customers sharing with their friends to bring them to along the ride. Um, and then the beautiful thing about it, and this was something that it was a light bulb moment for me too. If I produce the events or we produce the events, then instead of spending money on a sponsorship for somebody else's event, we get to make money off of producing the event and take money from other sponsors. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a little bit more risk and a lot more work, but it's a, you know, a really incredible profitable way for us to get a lot of exposure from, from a brand marketing standpoint. Great. And that, that's smart. You, you can take more control of it and then you really dictate everything about the event rather than you just, you know, paying paying a big brand to do it for you or to just be one of the many sponsors. So thanks for sharing that, Sam. I'm also curious about sales, if you're comfortable sharing this, because you've mentioned like a few channels, you had local farmers, you had like, it seems like you're also tapping the service industry. So where are you seeing growth in your sales channels and what has been your biggest revenue to date if you're open to sharing that? Yeah, I mean, so we're still relatively small in terms of like last year we we did about forty thousand revenue. So nothing that's going to be earth shattering. Uh, I still am the I say I say we a lot, but I still am the only full time employee. So it's it's me uh, carrying carrying the bag in in most uh, most instances. But I would say the biggest area of growth we've 
we've really identified some some opportunities in the on-premise space. And I really think that that's like mm-hmm. our biggest opportunity to explode this year. Like um, at this point, we're on pace to, you know, I'd say about 50% growth over over last year at this moment, uh, but we're in talks with some distributors and and some, some larger chains and, and things to that effect that'll allow us to really kind of, you know, hockey stick up, uh, which I am very excited about. But in terms of growth, I mean, it's, I think, I mentioned it before, the first two years of this business has really been testing and product market fit, right? So I feel really great about the fact that we've had growth, you know, first first year market was uh, 25K and then now we're, we're moving into 40. So like, you know, a little bit uh, inching above, but um, I'm really excited because now I feel like we have a good, strong positioning of the brand. Um, we know how to talk to this to the to our core customers, both from a from a direct to consumer standpoint as well as a retail and on premise standpoint. And then through that positioning, have kind of identified where our next product evolutions are coming from. So, like to date, we've had exclusively this one skew, this you know really delicious lime and elixir, um, and through identifying our core customers have found that like, so the most common way that they're consuming it is just adding some soda water to it. So it's like, okay, what if we diluted it with some natural spring water that's locally carbonated, put it in a can, and then that's a secondary product that we can offer to people. So we're in the final stages of label design right now. Hopefully by Mm. the time uh, this podcast comes out, we'll have the, the carbonated version out there, but um, yeah, coming out with some, some additional, products that I think are really going to allow for our best customers to be spend more money and, and buy, you know, bundles and, and things to that effect. So really like go deeper uh, with them. And then, you know, along with the, I, m- I mentioned the, the event space, that's something that is really exciting from a, from a second business line standpoint, not necessarily directly in the C, you know, the CPG or DTC world that we're speaking about, but mm. um, there's a really, you know, I think, not to bring in an analogy here, but I think that there's, uh, I can't remember where I read it, but the, the, this concept that, you know, everyone strives for average and not to say other brands are average, but like everyone strives for the same thing. And, you know, it's kind of, I, I would say sponsoring events is like the most common thing for, for brands to do. And most of them don't choose to go to this point of like producing it because it's a lot of work. And, you know, a lot of times, a lot of more, a lot more upfront money, you know, I'm investing, $7,000 up front to produce this festival, as opposed to maybe, you know, sponsoring it for whatever the amount of money may be. Um, but the potential upside is exponential. So um, seeing that as like a, a way to to r- drive revenue and, and fuel not only the uh, growth of the company, but get exposure to the business, like to, for the brand, um, and as well as get making partnerships with all the other sponsors that are there mm. to then, you know, be recurring customers down the line. Yeah, no, that that sounds exciting, Sam, and that's really interesting in terms of the way you view events, production, and sponsorship. But with 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 the guidelines that you really have to to be focusing on your audience, you don't just create events for the sake of promotions, right? But really building that community and then pooling your audience together. Uh, Very quickly, I also want to touch a bit on on margins because I've seen this as one of the more common predicaments of founders, you know, in the healthy F&B or generally in the CPG industry. So what's your experience on this? Uh, like what margins are you working on? Are you like uh, in a in a tight spot right now because you're still trying to be like, tell, tell me more about your experience on, on the margin side. 
one of the most common pieces of advice I got from people when I was, you know, and still to this day is to try to have that as healthy of margins as possible early on. Um, so we've priced our product at, at a pretty high premium uh, from the beginning in order to ensure that when we're, you know, really up leveling wholesale, we're, we're doing well on margins. So, I mean, our cost per bottle from like a raw material standpoint without labor, because the labor is, is me right now. So we'll factor that in when we're, we're hiring more people. Um, but we're under, under $3 a bottle and we're selling them, you know, for it on, on the website is, is $15 and wholesale it's, you know, between eight and 10. So uh, really trying to make sure that we are in a good spot. And, you know, again, the, the advice is you can always go down in price. It is really difficult to go up in price. So start high and kind of allow yourself to feel it out. And um, yeah, so we, we, we've, we've tried to build in as healthy of margins as possible with this. Good for you, Sam. I'm really happy to hear that. I think that's even way above average. Although I know, as you mentioned, there's a caveat that you're still in an early phase. As you yeah. grow, you know, margins will become different. But that's that's really good for you. I'm happy to hear that. A couple more questions before we wrap things up, Sam. Is there anything about the better for you food and beverage CPG industry that you find frustrating, if any at all? I was actually just having a conversation with um, a friend of mine about th uh, this earlier today. And I, I think, I think the, the better for you food and beverage space is, is growing mass. It's so quickly. And I think, you know, the, what's lagging behind is a lot of like consumer understanding of what, what it actually means. And um, I think like what a lot of the ingredients are still. So I think that, I guess one of the frustrations may be that there are, some branded better for you products out there that are not necessarily using better for you ingredients uh, in order to create them. Um, obviously that, you know, there's not, not a, a huge swath of them, but I think that's part of the, uh, the, the, the part of the evolution that we're in for consumers and, and customers as they become to come to embrace the better for you space is their intimate knowledge of like what the actual ingredients are and, and really instinctively looking at the ingredient label. Um, Cause I, there are a lot of people that do it right now, but you know, getting to more to the fact where you can't just have a trademark tagline and that makes you in the better for you space. And actually like the proof is in the pudding mm -hmm. of what, what you have in the product. Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned that because we're about to, to launch our, our free ebook called cracking the code where we did a deep research on consumer insights and the number one reason how and why they they buy better for you products is actually the nutritional value so so i think it has to you know it has to also come from the brands as you mentioned to to make sure that that's something that's being reinforced and emphasized uh so that you know the market can also really and i think they're already adapting that that's what we found out you know they'll they'll be more keen to see like what are you actually saying in your packaging and are you really true to to what you're saying that you're a better for you uh product so so that's interesting uh, i'd like to to do a quick recap and you know some some highlights of of the insights that i got from you before i ask the final question sam the first thing that i got is leverage whatever experience you have and bring that experience as you transition to the next chapter of your career which in this case being a founder of a better for you food and beverage cpg uh, company and then Pursue your eureka moment, but take it as an evolution. You know, with it, it might need six months, twelve months in your case, really more than that, just to make sure that you're doing tons of research and feasibility. But a core highlight that that struck me when when you said that 
you were validating the uniqueness of your idea. And a tactical note that you shared there is actually set brain trust sessions. Uh, even if you don't have co-founders, for example, you can always bring in some trusted friends who might have or might not have idea on, on the industry. I think you'll, you'll get so much from setting brain trust sessions. Uh, I love actually how you're very keen on dates uh, because that shows the importance that sometimes us founders tend to forget on how we should be appreciating our milestones uh, and then letting the brand evolve through market feedback. It's also very important in your experiences to build your network and just keep on showing up until you get, you know, hopefully to that right person that might just exactly be the missing piece uh, so that you can be catapulted to the next uh, step of, of your career. A few more is the importance of identifying really who your core customer is. And then focus on that audience from the way you position your product, the way you'll design your label, choosing the sales channels that you want to be in. I think that's that's really very important. And everything that you do from there should really be serving and leading your customers. In your case, you're doing events as a way to do that, not just as a brand marketing tool. But I'm seeing that as, you know, as as leading the, the community that you have to make sure that they have a platform where they can come together and then enjoy this, this lifestyle um, brand. It's also important for me when I heard it that we need to pace our own growth journey uh, and just make sure that you understand also that the first two, most likely even three years of the business would really have to be spent on, on, on the learning curve part, like testing, validating, really refining your product positioning, understanding your, uh, your audience and all of those things. And finally, uh, use your product positioning as an anchor for your growth and really pinning down your effective messaging. But in terms of the way you operate your business, try to have the healthiest margin as early as possible. And hands down, I totally recommend that. I'd rather you err on the side of pricing your product premium than pricing your product low and then having a hard time increasing it or having backlash later on. Is that a good recollection or fair recollection of the some of the insights that you've had, uh, Sam? I, I would say that was great. Um, yeah, and even that that last part tying together with the use of the experience, you know, your your experience from past jobs and everything, the pricing high that came from my 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 life in software sales and going in and proposing as high of number as I thought I could conceivably get from somebody, <laughs> you know, go from there. So yeah. Yeah, glad to hear that. So I'd like to ask now the final question before we go to the last segment of the show. And I thought I'd make it a bit more personal, Sam. Uh, what do you consider as your darkest moment so far, uh, quote-unquote, in your entrepreneurial journey? And what's keeping you going despite the challenges? Hmm. The darkest moment. I mean, I think every entrepreneur can answer that by saying it's, you know, twice a day, every other day type of, you know, like that type of thing <laughs> where there's, there's the highs and lows are pretty constant. Um, I mean, I think the lowest point for me probably was like right before we launched and the, you know, the, the beauty of spending so much time preparing and, and making sure that we're in a good spot in order to launch the business meant that there was so much buildup and self-imposed expectations and things like that. So um, getting to the moment of like right on the precipice and feeling myself being really scared of, of what was to come next um, but you know, like 
moving forward through it and, and really trying to, uh, to, to ride the wave. Um, that's just like one moment that, that can, like calls out to me of just like the a couple days before we were about to turn the website on and the, the paralysis of fear of like, Oh my God, what if this doesn't work type thing? And then, you know, you, you get through it. But, um, in terms of what gets me through those, you know, those, those low moments, I, I'm a huge advocate for journaling. Um, I do, I journal daily and um, a firm believer it's uh, a book called the, the artist way, but uh, the author Julia Cameron has this uh, practice of morning pages, which every day you just stream of consciousness, write three pages. And that's like the first thing you do to kind of clear out your, your brain and and be able to enter the rest of the day in a, a, a clear headspace. And I'd say that above anything else that I do from a practice standpoint is like instrumental for me in in terms of building this business and continuing on. Yeah, thanks for being open and sharing that, Sam. I, this has really been fun, but I'd like us to go now to the last segment of the show, which I call the finish line. It's basically the lightning round where I have five questions that I want you to answer as concise as possible. Are you game? Deal. First off, characteristic that an entrepreneur must have to succeed. Tenacity. Book or a podcast that you want to recommend for entrepreneurs to read or listen to? The Tim Ferriss podcast is my favorite. Um, I, I also just finished uh, reading it. The Four Agreements is probably the book that that's my employee handbook that I hand to everyone that does, that works with us, even as a contractor basis. But The Four Agreements is uh, pretty amazing as well. Yeah, I'll be sure to check that out also. The next one is, what is one thing that you fear the most as a founder? disappointing my parents. Uh, yeah, I, maybe, yeah, just want to, uh, I've got a, an incredible support system that I want to live up to earning that, that type of support. Thanks for that. Next one. If you're not an entrepreneur now, what do you think would you be instead? Mm, I'd be living in San Francisco selling software still. And it would, uh, you know, it'd be, <laughs> I, I don't want to know who that person would be at this stage. So, <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Finally, I want you to complete the sentence, Sam. Success is? I'll say two parts, freedom and happiness. That's powerful. And I think that's a good way to end this. Thank you so much, Sam, for your time, for being so kind and generous in sharing your story and insights. But before I let you go, can you please tell us where is the best place for people to learn about you and Haslo? Yeah, so... um... You can go to uh, drinkoslo.com. It's drink, H-A-Z-L-O.com. That is our website. Um, our Instagram is also drinkoslo. We're that on every platform. And then uh, myself, my, my name is Sam Moore. So there's a lot of me in the in the world. But if you just type Sam Moore, H-A-Z-L-O on Google or LinkedIn, I'll, I'll be the one that pops up and, and you'll be able to find me. Great. We'll make sure to link those up in our show notes. And once again, Sam, Thanks for being here and may God bless you. Hey there, CPG founders. Are you tired of trying to figure out what's really driving consumers to choose and buy better for you food and beverage CPG products? If you answered yes and want to get into the minds and hearts of your customers, then we have something for you. You should check out our free ebook, Cracking the Code, where you can find six core insights that motivate consumers to buy products like yours. This is available for a limited time only, so be sure to get your copy now. Go to your browser and type in thevineyardbc.com/freebook. That's thevineyardbc.com/freebook.